0: Hey, thanks. Uh, appreciate it, and uh, great to be back and speaking to you. I've been traveling a lot, so, uh, man, to be back here at First Baptist Louisville is uh, fantastic. So thank you. Uh, for. I hope this will go well, or as well as expected. Um, you know, Darren mentioned those questions, and uh, I saw the questions, and they really show uh, just how sick our church is. And... Um, <laughs> just, we tried to come up with some that everybody could relate to, but just have to uh, say to that lady who's got the 45-year-old son still smoking pot down in the basement and you're paying for everything, you might as well just go down and and smoke with him. I mean that's uh, that's just not going well and uh, you caused it, it's your problem. So just want to get that out of the way. Um, When my wife and I got married almost uh, 10 years ago, we um, she spent the night, our first honeymoon night, with 1,500 men. Um, we went to—I had to speak at Promise Keepers Canada—and uh, on that night. But we didn't want to back out on them. But we wanted to get married on the on 3, 4, 5, March the fourth uh, uh, in '05, because I have attention deficit disorders. Would be the only way that I could remember the anniversary was something like that. So uh, we spent the night. She spent the night with 1,500 men, and then uh, we came back to California before we went on our honeymoon, we, we went to a hotel in Beverly Hills, and as we were walking in, um, Robin Williams opened the door for her, which was a big thrill uh, for her. And um, before he walked away, I just said, hey, um, thanks for the great laughs. And he looked me right in the eye, and he said, you're welcome. It was, a, it was a, really a touching, moment and one that we never forgot, and um, of course, just a few weeks ago, Robin Williams, who had changed, who had been in recovery, who got his act together, uh, killed himself, and I just saw this past weekend where his daughter had had tattooed on her hand uh, a Robin uh, in, in memory of him, and essentially, Robin Williams, with his own death, was saying that, Uh, it's not worth it. Uh, You know, life without drugs and alcohol, um, it's not good enough. And with all of the power and prestige and access uh, that he had, it's not worth it. His ability to call anybody at any time to get help with anything, it still wasn't worth it. But I believe it is worth it, and there are things that God has provided us with that if we will do these very things, Uh, We can change, and we can stay changed. And there are people in this church right here today that are evidence of dramatic, radical, 180-degree change. And if you're like any other Christian congregation, 55% of the men here are involved in pornography. 55% of Christians admit to still being involved in pornography. About 40% of us in the ministry are regular users of pornography. So you can change, or you can stay the the same. It's your choice. And both have results that are really quite quite different. There are uh, four things that absolutely, positively do not produce change. And the first one, if you look on your fabulous, fun-filled outline there, is Disconnection, isolation, and secrecy. You know, our problems uh, drive us under, and we try to cover up. It's human nature. We don't want people to know our weaknesses, especially church people, because, you know, then they might think we actually are human beings, and that, that wouldn't be good. We're supposed to be fake Christians. So we try to maintain that, and we never let anybody know. And, and the secrecy comes to overwhelm us. And we literally become as sick as our secrets. And we don't want anybody to be aware of what's really in our heart. And, you know, when you stand alone, you stay the same. And when you stay the same, it's only a matter of time until you slip back into the negative ways that you had. So we can't disconnect, isolate, and be secretive. And yet that's the way some people live every day. Second thing that doesn't work is bitterness, anger, and resentment. The heaviest weight that we can carry is bitterness, anger, and resentment. And the hottest fire that we can carry to burn our soul is bitterness, anger, and resentment. And sometimes we have reason to be. Sometimes we do things that cause the other person to be angry, bitter, resentful, and maybe suspicious and jealous. When a woman is suspicious of a man, she can do a better job of investigating than the FBI. And so us men, we might as well just give in to the truth and to uh, clear up whatever it is that we're uh, hiding and whatever it is that is causing anger in others or in ourselves. And then number three is compromise, complacency, and procrastination. That describes a lazy person. And a lazy person, of course, we all know what that is. That's a person who the distance between them and the remote control determines how well they like the program that's already on the television. That's what laziness is. We don't want to move, we don't want to get up, we don't want to do anything, and it comes to characterize all of our life. Thomas Edison said, Our greatest weakness lies in stagnation, in giving up. The most certain way to succeed is just to try one more time. really is true. We give up. But we need to watch what it is that we think about rather than give up. Because what we think about becomes what we do, right? Whatever you think about, you eventually, that's what you do. And whatever you do eventually becomes a habit, if you do it enough. And then whatever our habits are, they become our destiny. And so if we want to really change, we have to start with what we think about. But we also have to change what we do. And whenever we've developed a habit, we have to we have to counter that habit. And there are some people that have figured out how to do that and we want to follow their example. Now, The fourth thing that doesn't work is self-effort, willpower, and uh, determination. The longer you try to do things under your own strength, the more you will fail, and the greater the frustration of those who are around you. Socrates said that the only true wisdom is in knowing how much you don't know. And a lot of times we think that we've got it in us, and we don't. The fact is, the broken brain that got us in trouble is not gonna be the broken brain that fixes ourselves. The brain malfunctions every day. It is our job to accept that and find out what it is beyond our brain that will help us to change forever. Shakespeare said, we know not what we may be, even though we know what we are. And I think Willie was really right, that that we can see who we are, but a lot of times we become so blinded by the circumstances that we're in that we forget that we have an all-powerful, all-knowing, amazing God full of love that has a life for us far beyond what we have. So the fool lives in shame, the cruel looks to blame, but the courageous surrender and change. And if we're going to change, then why not let's go study some people that figured out how to change and how to stay changed. Now imagine this. Imagine in Akron, Ohio, there was a group of people that had a 93% success rate in curing cancer. All cancer. Every cancer. Can you imagine? They had found the cure to something that, you know, sometimes miraculously went away. Sometimes surgeons uh, had some cancers that, that they could fix, but even the most untreatable, you know, that kind of cancer where when they find it, the doctor says you've got six weeks to live or six months to live. Imagine there was a place you could go in Akron, Ohio, and 93% of those people were healed of cancer. Don't you think there'd be a big line lined up out in front of Akron, Ohio, wherever? Well, back in the 30s, 1930s, hardly anybody ever got over alcoholism and drug addiction. In fact, you know, maybe somebody would be miraculously delivered from the craving and if they got involved in church and some other things, they might stay changed. But most people, even when they were delivered from the craving of alcohol, they had no support, they didn't know what to do, and so they fell right back into it. But in the early 1930s, there was a There was a group of people in Akron, Ohio who had a 93% success rate with alcoholics. Nobody has that success rate today, 93%. So one of the wealthiest people in the world, John D. Rockefeller Jr., sent somebody to Akron, which we would do if cancer was being cured there, and he said, find out what's going on there. And here's what he came back the man that John sent, he came back and said that they they believe in abstinence, total abstinence to alcohol. They believe in absolute surrender to the God of the Bible. They believe in the elimination from their lives the sins that often accompany addiction and alcoholism. They uh, believe in morning devotion, Bible study, prayer, and reading of uh, religious books, which I, I really suggest that people read religious books. And then number five, helping other alcoholics to get straightened out, not just for the sake of the other alcoholic, but to reinforce their own convictions. And then social and spiritual comradeship, another, helping each other. And then at least weekly church attendance, and conversion to Jesus Christ. <laughs> that is what they were doing in the beginning of Alcoholics Anonymous before they ever had 12 steps. And so um, we have some historical models of, of where you know change could really last. Like the Garden of Eden is a great model where you don't have any problems, everything's worked out. But that didn't work because somebody stopped looking to God and started looking to a beautiful, fascinating, spectacular serpent that seemed to be more wonderful than God, more trustworthy than God, and every one of us sleeps with snakes of that caliber. But when we keep our eyes on God and do what God has told us to do, then we don't have to fall the way Adam and Eve did in the garden. And if we'd been there, we would have done that also. But these people that were experiencing 93% success rate were were all part of what was known as the Oxford Group, which was a group of people who wanted to reestablish the first century church in modern days. And so they would meet together, they would confess their sins together, they would uh, make restitution, they would be responsible and accountable to each other, and they were creating a movement in this country that was changing lives. And they had four absolutes, and we'll talk about those. But when AA was formed, Alcoholics Anonymous, that had that, 12%, uh, that uh, 93% success rate, those people were focused on Jesus Christ, the absolutes of the Oxford group, and the biblical foundation of Alcoholics Anonymous, which was 1 Corinthians 13, the book of James, and the Beatitudes preached at the Sermon on the Mount. My friend Dave Stoop and I, we, uh, we created Uh, edited the life recovery bible which integrates the 12 steps with scripture and anybody that is in recovery or anybody has ever wanted to just follow these proven steps to lasting change it's all right here with devotionals and study guides and notes at the at the bottom of every page to help you understand how we stay changed and um, i just happen to have brought some bibles and they're out in the lobby and if you want one um, then you can uh, get one today. But here's, uh, here's the key. The key was the book of James and the four absolutes. And so what I've done here in this, um, this outline is combine the two. The Oxford groups believed that these four absolutes were the distillation of all of Christ's teachings. Pretty cool, huh? So you have absolute honesty, absolute purity, absolute unselfishness, and absolute love, and you find all of those things in the book of James. If there was ever a book in the Bible to memorize, it would be the book of James, written by Jesus' half-brother James. James did not particularly care for Jesus running around telling people he was the Messiah. James and his brother Jude, he wrote another letter in Scripture, used to stand at the edge of the crowd and heckle Jesus. Yeah, yeah, sure, right, you're the Savior. uh Uh-huh, well, we share a bedroom. uh, You know, those kinds of things that he would remind Jesus of. You live in our house, we eat the same thing. You're a carpenter, you, you do what Dad did. But when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, James became such a believer in his brother that he goes on to say, I am a slave to Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you have children that would ever say of a brother or a sister, I'm your slave? Well, only if the brother or sister paid them $50 or something like that to say it. But James willingly became a slave. And he wrote this letter to uh, the book of James, to the Roman churches of the day, saying to them, hey, if you're a Christian, don't just be standing around doing nothing. Or he was saying, Christians who have faith are producing results. They're working out their faith. And if you're not working, well, what kind of faith is that? No faith at all. And so if we look at this uh, This first absolute, we see that absolute honesty is what we're called for when we want to be a follower of Christ, we want to be a person of God, we want to be a faithful partner So we have to evaluate ourselves, and if we're dating, are we completely honest with this person we're dating? Well, no, you're not, because we all know that when you date, you put your first foot forward, the best foot forward. Then after you eat wedding cake, the other ugly foot comes out, and then that's what you show people. So we know people that date are liars. But you want to get as honest as you possibly can in dating so that once you eat the wedding cake, it won't be such a horrible shock. But in marriage, are you open and honest? I know people that are open and honest about everything in their marriage and they're experiencing an intimacy in that openness and honesty that results in sexual intimacy, which is what they really want to have. It draws them together in a way that nothing else can in this world. But if you don't have honesty, it doesn't get there. One of the things that is important to build security in a marriage is clarity, to have complete clarity about the other person I talked to a lady last night she had complete clarity about her husband he had been a sex addict for 30 years and now he was um, experiencing dementia and even if he wanted to change his brain couldn't so there was no way for him to get it together because he didn't have a brain that could how sad that he waited too long but clarity Clarity with honesty is the foundation for all of us to have a relationship with God and relationship with others that uh, is truly astounding. And then James 5.1 says, well, 5.12 says just, just say a simple yes and no. No need to swear. Your word ought to be good enough without it. And then in this honesty, James 5.1 says confess your sins one to another. Pray for each other that you might be healed. So, we want to be sure that we're not just honest, but that we are honestly telling everything to our spouses, to our accountability group, to our Bible study, about what's going on in our lives. Because you see, it doesn't really matter what happens in your life, it is your response to it. You're going to be tempted, now what's your response to it? Leonardo da Vinci, or Vince Lombardi, one of the others said, the measure of who we are is what we do with what we have. The measure of who we are is what we do with what we have. And C.S. Lewis said, you're never too old to set another goal or to dream another dream, and that begins with absolute honesty. And then, if we go over to the second absolute, we find that we need to have absolute purity. Not better than the other person as our standard, not better than we used to be as our standard, but purity. And if you look in James, it says, get rid of all filth and evil in your lives. You can't be pure with filth and evil. Have you heard that local uh, commercial on radio about the guy that he went to this computer school, but before that he was working in a garbage truck at the end of the day, cleaning maggots out of a garbage truck. Have you heard that commercial? I'm not making this up, this is true. But now he has a great job as a computer programmer, and uh, he's no longer living with maggots in the back of a garbage truck. It's it's one of those commercials that should be outlawed because if you're eating uh, while driving, which I frequently do. (laughs) Um, it, It doesn't go well. Well, you see, the whole goal was to get rid of the filth in his life and graduate into a different job that's fulfilling and clean. And that should be the same story with us and what we're doing with our lives. We need to find the purity. 317 says, the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. So you can't ever be a wise person and be an impure person. You might say to yourself, why am I so stupid? Well, it could be because you've got maggots in your brain right there living and you need Jesus to help you scrape those out like that man did. And then the other absolute is absolute unselfishness. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, it means you care for orphans and widows. It means that you're looking out for uh, the, the least of these, that you're giving your life. You're not just here to get what you can get, but you're unselfish and sacrificial, and you're a servant. You know... Um, mothers are are the great sacrifices in the family and you know you're a mother when just to go out at night it takes more planning and coordination than it would to do an entire wedding and you just want to go to the movie that's that's a mother who sacrifices for her children and and, And to be a great mother, you you must be unselfish. But you know, we kind of live in a day where um, selfishness is kind of being reclaimed by people. What we deserve and what we uh, expect and what we're entitled to becomes the calling of the day. And then, absolute love. Um, Absolute love. Is, is something that is free of judgment. In fact, the less trouble you go to to love people, the easier it is to judge people, isn't it? If you just don't get involved and and try to find out what's at the heart of the hurt that's causing whatever it is that you're irritated about, if you don't ever go deeper and try to love that person, the way Jesus tried to love people who were absolutely against him or absolutely living the exact opposite way that he said, if you don't do that, then you can judge with great freedom and you can become quite skilled at judging where it doesn't even sound like. You're judging. Like you can say, "Well, what'd you, what you think about that? What'd you think about that? Do you, you know, what are, you, what are your thoughts about that?" And you put the little question mark in people's minds, and then they say, "Yeah, I don't know. That's kind of weird." And then you get to go and judge because you're just, you know, agreeing with the other person. Jesus did not come to judge us. Jesus did not come to condemn us. I think he didn't because he knew we would do just fine on our own, and he wouldn't have to, but he came to free us from all of that. And so uh, when we have absolute love, it says that God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation, and afterward they receive the crown of life That God has promised to those who love him. See, God doesn't say, you got to do this perfectly. Uh, you got to do this exactly the way I tell you. No, you know what he said? He said, just endure it. Just patiently endure it. Now, what do we need to patiently endure? Well, we need to patiently endure uh, testing and temptation. Sometimes God tests us to build our character, and we fail the test so we don't grow in character. But we know that temptation comes from the desires that within, that are within us. So we have desire and then temptation and then enticement from within. And if we're in proximity of the problem, then most of the time we're gonna fall right back into it. But you know, when When you do something like work the 12 steps, you have a different experience in life than that. Because really the 12 steps can be boiled down to um, let's surrender to God, let's clean up our act, and let's go help some people with it. And if you never surrender to God, then you will never clean up your act. And if you never clean up your act, you will always believe that you have nothing to give or you'll have no desire to help other people. Now, if you had experienced the act I was living in about 30 years ago, you would say, this man should never, ever teach, preach, or get up in front of people. Because it was, it was pretty sad. But sad is what God likes to work with. I was really incompetent but incompetence is what God likes to work with and he takes the most unlikely people and he puts them in places where they can help in a way that you just never dream now there were two absolutes that these uh, Oxford group people left out that I think are really important and the fifth one is absolute courage and that is doing whatever needs to be done when it needs to be done, no matter the consequences. How many times have we said, oh, I should have done that? You know, well, that's not courage because that's not realizing what you, I mean, courage isn't realizing what you should have done or could have done, but courage is just doing it. And we need absolute courage. 5.8 says, you too must be patient. Take courage, for the Lord is near. And so we need to courageously wait upon what God wants us to do and then do it. Now, I've never met a human being or a Christian who said, you know, God is just working too fast in my life. I I just can't believe how quickly God is bringing things about in my life. You know, it's as if he's got all the time in the world. And it seems like an eternity before he does something. But you look back and you go, wow, that went quickly. But while you're doing it, uh, it seems very slow. But that's what builds endurance and patience within us, which allows us to experience lasting change. So, what do we do to make all this happen? Well, it's the sixth absolute and that is absolute surrender if you look at 4.7 and 4.8 and 4.10 it says humble yourself before the Lord resist the devil and he will flee you, humble yourself before God and he will lift you up in honor, rather than honor yourself, let God be the one to honor you come close to God and he will come close to you And if you don't do that, then you end up in what I call a process of relapse where it's only a matter of time until you fall back into the very sin that trapped you. The first phase is complacency, complacency where we stop doing all those things that we're working so well in our lives and if you have somebody that goes and gets treatment for something and they come back and they're doing all this stuff and then they stop doing that then you need to be sure that you're intervening with them saying hey wait a second you were doing so great and now you're not doing that that's the first step of relapse so 122 says don't just listen to God's word you must do what it says The second thing is confusion. If I stop doing whatever it was that I was doing, I get confused, well, was my problem really that bad? You see, if I'm not meeting with people that had the same problem and connecting with other uh, sex addicts or other alcoholics or drug addicts or gossipers or people that are full of envy and jealous, all the big sins in the Bible, if I'm not doing that, then I'm going to be confused and think that maybe I'm better or stronger or wiser than I really am. And then I'm going to compromise. And in this compromise, the temptation is going to take over, and eventually I'm going to crash and burn. The big catastrophe happens. How great if I can intervene on myself before I return to whatever it was that was causing so much difficulty in my life. In conclusion, there's an old saying in recovery groups called HALT. H stands for hunger. Don't get too hungry because you get out of control. Your desires and urges and appetites start to take over. So use good nutrition is a really important thing. Don't get angry. You can't afford the luxury of anger and bitterness. Don't become lonely, because in isolation we get sicker. And don't get too tired. Get some good rest. That's halt. Well, I have five words that I believe in. Don't be supercilious. Don't be perfectionistic. Don't be lazy, arrogant, or a troublemaker. And that spells splat. Don't splat yourself all over the pavement because you've neglected the things that God has provided for you to do if you want to stay changed. Now, I want to show you a picture, show you a little picture up here. Maybe you can show that picture. I was just in California, and um, I, I have collected thousands of pieces of beach glass over the years, I have a lot of white, a lot of brown from beer bottles, a lot of uh, turquoise from coke bottles. Uh, the most rare that you can find, which is just such a treat, is if you ever find a piece of red beach glass. but I was walking along the the beach just a few days ago, and there was no glass anywhere, and I thought, "Oh, great, you know because The ocean tide and waves have to be right for the glass to be churned up. It's there. It's underneath there. And I look down, and that is actually this, which doesn't look like much, but to a guy like me, oh, my goodness. What was once a bottle that got broken and became something dangerous and sharp and could inflict pain on people somehow made its way from the trash can to the ocean and churned under thousands and thousands and millions of grains of sand and rocks and all all the edges are smoothed out and to a guy like me that broken piece that could have really cut somebody up becomes a thing of great beauty and value this is my prized possession after 40 years of collecting beach glass. Now, what's my point? You know, you may have been dangerous. You may have been broken. But when you surrender to God, He churns up your life. He smooths out the rough edges. And what looked like something that was a piece of trash, God can turn into something actually quite beautiful. Something that, if you put an S on it, would look like Superman's uh, insignia. You can beat that. There's a guy with a t-shirt back there with Superman on it. Okay. So, my point is, it's never too late, never too early, and we should never be shocked at what God can take in a human being no matter what the past is and what he can make out of it. But you have to stay changed. You have to want to be changed and you have to stay changed and there are some people that have found the secret to doing both. The question is, are you willing to surrender to the process that God calls you to? I hope that, that you are. And I hope that if you're ever walking along the beach and you find a piece of red beach glass that you'll give it to me. That's really the purpose of this whole sermon. <laughs> Let me pray for you. God, we are broken and we are sometimes no better than a piece of trash. But you have provided your wisdom. You've provided a path. And give us the courage to humble ourselves before you, surrender to you, and allow you to show us the way. And help us to follow those who have found that way. In your name we pray. Amen.